All right, good evening. Welcome to our Bible class. We are on lesson 13, talking about how do we worship God, looking particularly at the third commandment, as well as a little bit about um, a little bit about prayer and a little bit about our worship practices as a church. And so tonight we will be starting in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, and then also we'll look at Exodus chapter 31. Um, Exodus chapter 20, I'll make that a little bit bigger here on your screen. You'll notice a little bit of highlighting that I've, <laughs> I've used this portion before. Um, starting here in verse 8. Sorry. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And the highlighted parts um, are, highlights the connection between God's command to labor for six days and rest on the seventh um, is in line with the example that he set all the way back at the beginning of creation that God worked for six days in creating the world, and then he rested on the seventh, not because he needed the rest, but because he was giving us an example that would be fulfilled here in the Sabbath day, and even more fully in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So number one, what special command had God given concerning the Sabbath day? That was chapter 20, verses 8 through 10. He says, six days you shall labor and do all your work, and on the seventh day, you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your animals, nor the people who are living within your gates. So the special command was that no one should work on that day. Pretty simple and straightforward. Which gets to our key term, our first key term, Sabbath, is just a Hebrew word that means rest. That was a day of rest from work and a day of worship of the Lord. So the Sabbath day is going to be a day of rest and worship, which we have right here. Sabbath day, a day of rest that God's Old Testament people observed once a week on Saturday. And this was fairly unknown and uncommon until, until God gave this command. Otherwise, people would just be working straight through and, um, and maybe lived in a little bit more subsistence lifestyle where they had to felt that they had to really do their work on a regular daily basis in order to have food for the next day or the next season. And in this, God is also teaching his people a lesson that he is the one who provides their food and he is the one who provides for them and that they not only can, but should take a day of rest from their work and set that time aside to worship him. Number two, what connections to creation did God mention when he commanded the Sabbath day? That was the part that I highlighted previously, that God made the universe in six 24-hour days and he rested on the seventh day to enjoy his creation that he gave an example for his people to follow. Not that he needed the rest, but he was instituting the week as we have it today. Number three, if you were an Israelite who was trying to support a family, what about the Sabbath day rules might have seemed a little daunting? We touched on this a little bit already as well. That maybe you thought you needed that extra day of work to make enough, make more money, um, or take care of your farm or your vineyard. Maybe that's the day that would be time and a half that you've already got the 40 hours and that one day at the end of the week would be a full shift when you're working, you're working a full shift and you get paid at a higher rate. 
and to say, no thanks, that's a day of rest. That was an act of faith that God wanted his people to exercise on a daily and, yes, a weekly basis. Number four, read Psalm 92, verses 1 through 5. This will be in our supplemental passages. This was the psalm that was specifically written for the Sabbath day. What do you suppose was one thing the Israelites were to do on their day of rest? Psalm 92 on your screen. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to make music to your name almost high, to proclaim your mercy in the morning and your faithfulness every night, with a ten-stringed instrument and with a harp, with a melody on a lyre. Yes, you make me glad by your work, O Lord. I sing loudly at the work of your hands. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. This psalm written for use on the Sabbath day. One thing the Israelites were supposed to do was worship God and thank him for all that he had done for them. But the Sabbath day wasn't just a day off from work. It was a day of rest and worship. Next page. <clears throat> Excuse me, this is page 85 in your workbook if you're following along there. For the Old Testament people, the Sabbath day was to be a day to remember the care of their God who created them and rescued them from slavery in Egypt. When do we set aside a time of rest to worship our Creator and our Savior God? Well, when we worship at church, usually on a Sunday, I think there is some value in maintaining a regular Sunday worship service um, to say, you know, go against the flow of society. And this was something that the Israelites, the faithful Israelites, had to experience as well. To go a little bit against the flow of society, maybe their neighbors didn't take time off for the Sabbath day. And God made that note a couple of times in the Old Testament that his people did not celebrate the Sabbath day or even the Sabbath year. Like every seventh year, they're just supposed to eat what they had stored from the previous six years. And God, God had promised to provide for them over the course of that seventh year. During that seventh year, every seven years, they were supposed to not do any farming at all. And God says that they, they never listened to that. They never obeyed that command from him. And so when do we set aside a time for worship and rest? Generally on a Sunday. Um, and, and like I said, I think there is some value in trying to maintain that um, while also providing some accommodations for those who are not in a position because we don't live in the same sort of society that has the same respect for a Sabbath day the way that the Israelites did. And so we want to really make sure that we highlight especially the spiritual truth of the Sabbath day, which we'll get to in just a minute. Number six, why don't we follow the same ceremonial laws that Israel followed for rest and worship on a Saturday, Sabbath day? Read Colossians 2, 13 through 17 and Matthew 11. In our supplemental passages here, Colossians 2 on your screen. Even when you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ by forgiving us all our trespasses. God erased the record of our debt brought against us by his legal demands. This record stood against us, but he took it away by nailing it to the cross. After disarming the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them by triumphing over them in Christ. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you in regard to food or drink, or in regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. This is the important part, especially. These are a shadow of the things that were coming, but the body belongs to Christ that the Sabbath day was a foreshadowing of the blessings we have in Jesus, and the reality is seen in Jesus. And Matthew 11, Jesus said, 
Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. <clears throat> so why don't we follow the same ceremonial laws that Israel followed? Well, Jesus fulfilled the law and gave us the true eternal rest that the Sabbath day pictured. Um, that the Sabbath day was really an elaborate picture demonstrating that through Jesus we would be able to rest from this constant work of trying to make ourselves righteous in God's eyes, that Jesus has done the work for us. Number seven, because the Old Testament ceremonial law was fulfilled by Christ and no longer applies to us, we aren't sinning if we worship on days other than Saturday. However, we might be breaking the third commandment in other ways. And that was at the top of page 84 in the blue box. I forgot to read that previously. The third commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does this mean? We should fear and love God that we do not despise preaching and his word, but regard it as holy and gladly hear and learn it. So how else could we be guilty of despising preaching and his word as Luther described in the explanation to the third commandment? We should fear and love God that we do not despise preaching and his word. Hebrews 10. Let us also carefully consider how to spur one another on to love and good works. Let us not neglect meeting together as some have the habit of doing. Rather, let us encourage each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Day there, talking about judgment day. Well, Number seven, one way is if we were to stop worshiping with fellow Christians. That would be an example of despising God's word, of not taking advantage of the opportunities that lay before us and are freely presented to us. Um, secondly, looking at 1 John 2 verse 15 is the next verse. How might we be guilty of despising preaching in the word? Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So 1 John 2 verse 15, If we love the things in this world more than we love God and his word. And yes, you would say, well, Pastor Hagen, that's idolatry. You'd be correct. Because the way I see it, you can, you can break the first commandment and break all the rest. You can look at all the commandments through the lens of the first commandment. And you can also look at all the commandments through, through the lens of the ninth and 10th commandments, which talk about coveting, desiring something that belongs to somebody else. And so if we set ourselves up as, as you know, more influence and more importance than God, and we love the things in this world more than we love God and his word, yes, that's idolatry. And it's also despising and thinking very little of the gifts that God gives to us through him, through his word. Um, finally, the, the third verse in this section, how else could we be guilty of despising preaching and his word? Going on to the next page, be people who do what the word says, not people who only hear it. Such people are deceiving themselves. Here we are. In fact, if anyone hears the word and does not do what it says, he is like a man who carefully looks at his own face in a mirror. Indeed, he carefully looks at himself, then he goes away and immediately forgets what he looked like. 
So if we do not believe or we purposely refrain from doing what God says in his word, if we look at it and say, hey, that applies to me, walk out the door and totally forget about it, and it never crosses our mind again. God says, don't just listen to the word, but do what it says. Number eight, for centuries, New Testament Christians have worshipped on Sunday, the first day of the week. Why do you think they chose Sunday? Read Luke 24, verses 1 through 3, for one possible idea. Luke 24, 1, 2, and 3. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women went to the tomb, carrying the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. When they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So talking about Easter Sunday. So one possible explanation for why Christians began worshiping on a Sunday? Um, Jesus rose from the dead on the Sunday, that the, the Sabbath was fulfilled. And um, yeah, that, that, that's the, the pivotal day in all of human history is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So it's every reason to celebrate. Next section, Acts 2 verses 42 through 47, talked about worship in the early Christian church. This is a, this is a large topic um, because a little bit later in this lesson, we talk about why we worship the way we do. And there's a lot that goes into it. And if you have any questions, be sure to contact me, Pastor Hagen, P-A-S-T-O-R-H-A-G-E-N at iCloud.com. And, um, and we try to have a Bible class or two on this every year, about once or twice a year, usually, usually touch on one of the major topics or maybe, maybe the major questions that people might have in relation to why do we do what we do in the worship service? Because if we don't know why we do it, then it's not, it's not beneficial or it's not nearly as beneficial as it should be. All right, so Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, the summary points there on page 85 in your workbook. Now, we get a brief glimpse of worship in the early Christian church immediately following the Christian Pentecost celebration. And then secondly, the, the worship focus of the early Christians guide us as we think about what our focus should be. And then finally, because Christian, Christian, being Christian, sorry, affected not only when and how they worshiped, it also affected every aspect of their lives. So Acts 2 verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. All right, you notice there in verse 42, um, You notice there in verse 42 that we talked about some of the things that they did. What was the, for the, when the early Christians got together to worship, what was their focus? Well, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Those are four major things. And when you're talking about the breaking of bread, um, that phrase is used multiple times throughout the book of Acts, many times referring to 
of a Lord's Supper celebration, sometimes simply referring to a fellowship meal or a fellowship celebration that they have together. Number 10, how did they put their faith into practice? Looking at verses 44 and 45. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Um, and, oh, sorry, in verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. So this is, this is freely given that they have this um, community, this care for one another as fellow believers in Christ, motivated purely by the love that Jesus had for them and, um, and not compelled by outer circumstances. And there's one example that we have a little bit later. Um, I think it's in Acts chapter 6, where we have this, this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who were compelled by outer circumstances. They, were, they felt compelled by their desire to look good in the eyes of other people. And they ended up losing their lives for it because God did not want that sort of attitude being creeping into his church. So number 10, how did they put their faith into practice? That they used their wealth to help one another. And number 11, why were they doing these good works? Well, they were thanking God for his forgiveness given to, to them in Jesus. That's a motivation that is completely unlike any other motivation in the world. That it is, it, it, it's only by miracle, you know, that the Holy Spirit has changed a person's heart so that they, so that in this case, they joyfully said, you know, I want to share your burden. I want to provide for you and I don't want anything in return. And I'm not trying to even get leverage over you the way that a, a lender might or a loan shark might. Um, I'm here to care for you and to help you. Number 12, how did they encourage one another? Verses 46 and 47. They continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Well, they worshiped and they shared meals together. Fantastic. It's, uh, it's fellowship here in that verse. Um, number 13. How did the third commandment, how does the third commandment serve as a mirror that is the second use of the law for us? How does it show us our sin? Well, it shows us the times when we haven't made God's word and worship a priority. Top of page 86. Read Luke 4, verse 16 and Mark 10, verse 1. How did Jesus keep the third commandment in our place through his active obedience? Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. As was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. In Mark 10, Jesus got up and went to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Crowds gathered around him again, and as he usually did, he taught them. Well, Jesus regularly worshipped God and taught the people God's word, and his doing so has been counted as your righteousness and mine for the times when we have fallen short of of god's word and god's law and this commandment number 15 how did jesus solve our continued breaking of the third commandment through his passive obedience well he died to forgive the times when we have not made his word our highest priority 
And even, even that you think about that, well, I should make God's word a higher priority in my life and better, you know, bump it up on the priority list. It's like, wait, time out. You want to just relegate almighty and holy God to one among many priorities on, on a list. Uh, <laughs> thanks be to God that we have a savior who has taken away our sin and our misguided priorities. Number 16, how does the third commandment serve as a guide? The third use of the law, or the guide for thankful Christian living? That God leads us to say, this is how I can serve him. And uh, I'll adjust that. Here we are. Number 16, um, that God provides us a clear way to serve him by treasuring his word and joining other Christians in worship, even if it's not the most convenient timing for us. So the example on page 86 in your workbook, that the Old Testament Sabbath pictured rest in Christ. And this rest in Christ is also told to us through God's word. That in according to the third commandment, we are to worship God regularly, to hear and study God's word, believe and obey God's word, and proclaim God's word. And we are to avoid neglecting worship or ignoring worship. We are to avoid um, ignoring our Bibles. We are to avoid thinking that other things are more important than hearing God's word. We are to avoid refusing to obey or believe or apply God's word that we don't just listen to it, but we also apply it. Again, if you have any questions, please let me know. Um, you could email me, Pastor Hagen, P-A-S-T-O-R-H-A-G-E-N, at iCloud.com. Next part, talk about prayer. Prayer is an act of worship in which we speak to God from our hearts, and we will be in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. Uh, the summary statement there in your workbook Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. First, <clears throat> first summary point, one of the great blessings that we have through faith in Jesus is the capability to pray to God. Prayer is one of the ways we worship him and express our thanks to him. And then secondly, while preaching the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave the crowd his model prayer, which we have come to call the Lord's Prayer. This is also repeated for us in Luke chapter 11. We're at Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
All right. Throughout this course, we have looked at individual petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Now we'll look at prayer in general. As Jesus taught his followers about prayer, what did he tell them to avoid, according to verses 5 and 7? Right up here. Verse 5. Uh, what does he tell, tell them to avoid? Don't be like the hypocrites. The hypocrites are just standing there on the street corners to be seen by men. And verse 7. Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. It's not the quantity of words that matter. It's, um, it's the one to whom prayer is addressed. So number 17, we don't use prayer to show off. We don't babble on and on without thinking about what's being said. Not even if we have a long prayer, um, which we sometimes use in church, like especially on New Year's Eve, we often use the great litany um, or other prayers where a pastor says something and then the people say, Lord, hear our prayer or Lord, have mercy or something like that. Sometimes those prayers can go on for, you know, a page, you know, but each of those prayers is prayer is a prayer that we are actually praying earnestly. We are paying attention to and it's printed out for you to follow along so that you can confidently join in with that prayer as well. Number 18, what advice does Jesus give us for prayer in verse 6? That was where he had said, go into your room and close the door. And your father who sees what is done in secret, um, he will hear your prayer as well. So go to a quiet place and pray to your heavenly father. So our key term, prayer. I like the, the bottom statement here. Prayer is an act of worship in which we speak to God from our hearts. Or speaking to God from the heart as an expression of our faith in God and trust in his power and love. Number 19, read 1 Peter 3, 2 Corinthians 5, and James 5. Whose prayer does God hear? That will be in our supplemental passages here. You can get most of them on the page. 1 Peter 3, verse 12. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their requests. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And 2 Corinthians 5. God made him who did not know sin to become sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And finally, the prayer of a righteous person is able to do much because it is effective. From James chapter 5. So, number 19. Whose prayers does God hear? God hears those who are righteous through faith in Jesus. He doesn't hear the prayers of, of the pagans who keep on babbling. Um, he doesn't hear the prayers of those who are in persistent, unrepentant sin. He doesn't hear the prayers of those who don't have faith, as even Isaiah chapter 49, I believe it's Isaiah 49 verses 1 and 2, where God says that, I don't hear your prayers, and I purposely don't hear them because of your sin. So it's like, yeah, sin make, makes God cover his ears and say, I'm not listening to this. And he's not going to answer it. Number 20, what comfort did, does Jesus give in verse 8 to guide our prayer life? Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Well, that's comforting. God knows what we need even before we ask. Awesome. 
and he says pray <laughs> he promises he commands us to pray then he promises to answer it and he says oh by the way i even know what you're going to ask so please pray we often end our prayers with the word amen read the doxology of the lord's prayer and reread first peter 3 verse 12. what does that word amen indicate that we believe about the prayer we have just spoken and in the blue box and the purple box at the bottom of page 87 in your workbook the blue box, the doxology of the Lord's Prayer. For, that, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. What does this mean? We can be sure that these petitions are acceptable to our Father in heaven and are heard by him. For he himself has commanded us to pray in this way and has promised to hear us. Therefore we say, Amen. Yes, it shall be so. And our key term, Amen, or Amen, is a Hebrew word meaning, yes, it will be. So what does that word amen indicate that we believe about the prayer we have just spoken? That we believe God will answer our prayers in the way that is best for us. That he has, that he has your good will in mind. Okay? And that's a real comfort. That's every reason to pray. Um, so you see that God commands prayer. He says this is an act of worship, and so we should pray. Um, he promises to answer prayer, he promises to hear our prayer, and he promises to answer in a way that is best for us. So there's every reason to pray and make use of this prayer often. Top of page 88. Read Ephesians 3 verse 20. Where does prayer get its power? Now to him who is able, according to the power that is at work within us, to do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. I think that's where that one stops. Yeah, and so the when we talk about God having the power to do infinitely more than we could ask or imagine, the prayer gets its power from God. The power of your prayer is not in your sincerity. It's not in your emotion. It's not in how you feel about it. It's not in the number of words that you use or the, the type of prayer that you're reading from somebody else. It's not the paper that the prayer is written on or the, the handkerchief that you hold as you, as you pray this prayer. You know, all sorts of silly things that people get distracted by. Prayer is based on the power of God and according to his command to pray and his promise to hear. Number 23, you read 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, and Psalm 50, verse 15. When are we able to pray to God? Right here. 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. And Psalm 50, call on me in the day of distress. I will deliver you, and you will honor me. <clears throat> so when are we able to pray to God, well, anytime, especially when we need help. In the right-hand side on page 88 at the top right-hand corner of the page, there's that red box that talks about praying in Jesus' name. Uh, we'll read that. We, we may often begin or end our prayers with in Jesus' name or for Jesus' sake. We do that as a reminder and recognition that we are not worthy or able to pray to God on our own. Our sin makes that impossible. But because Jesus has removed our sins completely by living, dying, and rising for us, we are able not only to pray, but to pray confidently that God will both hear and answer our prayers 
for our eternal good. So 24, when we pray, we may pray using a prayer that we make up from the heart, an ex corde prayer, as it's called, or a prayer that somebody else has written, such as the Lord's Prayer, or prayers that are, you know, basically the book of Psalms is an entire book of prayers, um, or other prayers that are in a, maybe in a prayer book, a Christian prayer book, or in the front part of your red hymnal, or even the, the other hymnal, the newer one that we've got now, um, or the Lord's Prayer. You know, these are prayers that have been written out by somebody else. What are the benefits? of an ex corde prayer, a prayer from the heart, instead of something that is written out, doesn't mean that other prayers are not from the heart, but it's just the term that we use, I guess. <laughs> so that prayer is specific to what is in our hearts, specific to our circumstances. And I always tell people, you can tell God how you feel. Um, you can tell God what's really on your mind, and, and you can repeat it. You can say, you know, day after day, um, you can have the same prayer, or you can tell them how you're feeling that day or what you're really worried and distressed about. And that's a good prayer. Um, you don't need to follow, you don't need to follow a prayer that somebody else has written out. Conversely, um, just making up your own prayer on the spot doesn't make it more heard by God or more worthy to be heard by God. But prayer is this blessing that we can exercise, whether it's something that somebody else wrote or something that, that we wrote or that we came up with. Number 25, what are the benefits of using a prayer that somebody else has written? Maybe you think of, um, they come up with ideas that we maybe didn't think of on our own. They help when we don't know what to pray. Um, and really, prayer and the Bible reading together are like spiritual breathing, is the way I describe this, that in his word, God gives us his words. And in his word, we hear what God has to say. God speaks to us through his Bible. We speak to God in prayer. He answers us through his Bible. <laughs> and he answers us according to um, when, he, when he blesses the events of our lives. And he says, yes, that is the answer. Or... Um, you know, you are going to get better. And sometimes the answer is no, here's something better. Maybe your loved one doesn't recover, but instead they get to go and enjoy heaven today instead of living in a world of sin and death and pain. So the benefits of using a prayer that somebody else has written, they help when we don't know what to pray. They give us ideas we might, might not think of on our own. And if your prayer life is struggling along, um, you might benefit from a little bit more time in the Word of God, having God speak to you before you take a moment to speak to Him. Number 26, still on page 88, what comfort does God give when we don't know what to pray? Read Romans 8, 26, 27, and 34b. That b just means the last part of verse 34, or the second half. Romans 8, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we should pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that are not expressed in words. And he who searches our hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to God's will. Christ Jesus, who died, and more than that was raised to life, is the one who is at God's right hand and who is also interceding for us. There's a lot there. Um, what comfort does God give us? The Holy Spirit prays for us with words that are groans that words cannot express, and Jesus intercedes on our behalf. So he prays for us as well, and he continues to do so even today. 
27. We ask in the Lord in the third petition of the Lord's Prayer for God's will to be done. That is in the blue box at the t- bottom of page 88. Reads like this. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does this mean? God's good and gracious will is certainly done without our prayer, but we pray in this petition that it may be done among us as well. How is God's will done? God's will is done when he breaks and defeats every evil plan and purpose of the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh, which try to prevent us from keeping God's name holy and letting his kingdom come. And God's will is done when he strengthens and keeps us firm in his word and in the faith as long as we live. This is his good and gracious will. So thy will be done. With that in mind, how do we expect God to answer our prayers? Um, That is Romans 8, verses 28 through 32. Here it is. Romans 8. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Because those God foreknew, he also predestined, to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And verse 30 right here. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then will we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Indeed, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things along with him. So God, in number 27, in answer to this, that God won't always give us what we want, but he will answer for our eternal good. Um, So let's say you pray for a million dollars or a billion dollars, um, and you didn't get a billion (laughs) dollars. but you had enough to go from day to day. And um, I know that I personally was given a billion dollars or even a million dollars. That would not be a good thing because I become too worried about maintaining it, keeping it and all the fun that I could have with it and take the spiritual blessings of our Lord for granted. Um, Thanks be to God that he has not blessed me or in a sense curse me with a million dollars or even a billion dollars and there there might be other examples as well but we pray in confidence that our lord knows not only what is and what will be but what could be and what shouldn't be and so we we can pray confidently knowing that he will answer according to our eternal good excuse me uh top of page 89 one acts acts prayer model. Um, and this is, this can be helpful. You know, oftentimes, you know, if, as a pastor, people say, oh, pastor, can you say a prayer uh, right before a meal or after a certain event or something like that? And, um, and this is often in the back of my mind um, or even the front of my mind. So on page 89, with the Lord's Prayer, we spend more time praying for things that are of great importance, spiritual blessings, and less time praying for those that are less important, that is physical blessings. The ACTS model can give us a similarly balanced prayer. A meaning adoration, C stands for confession, T stands for thanksgiving, and S stands for supplication. So adoration, we begin with a section of prayer that praises God. Um, And there's an example in the red box on page 89. Um, And so this would be 
in that red box, Dear God, you are so great and powerful, more important to me than anything. C, confession. Tell God your sin and trust his forgiveness. Um, continuing in that red box, so often I do not do what you want me to do. I sin and I deserve your punishment. T, thanksgiving. Thank God for his forgiveness and all your other blessings. The example there, but thank you, Lord, for sending your son Jesus to be my savior and to rescue me from my sin so that I can know that I will be with you in heaven. And finally, S, supplication. This is a request. Ask God for help for others or for yourself. Please help my coworker with her marriage. If I can be a help to her, please make that clear to me. Also, please help me with a large evaluation at work next week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. One example that can be very helpful, I believe. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication or requests. We're going to conclude this lesson with a quick look at our worship life. And, um, and we are a liturgical church, which means that we follow an order. Uh, we are, you know, God is a God of, not a God of disorder, but a God of order and a God of peace. And, um, and we also, well, we don't rigidly follow what, you know, whatever examples went before us because we don't worship tradition at the same time. We also want to convey and recognize that we are members of a Christian church that spans time and geography. And so it is worthwhile and it is good for us to worship in a way that reflects these truths. Um, so on page 89, before we get into the different seasons of the church year, um, page 89, the church year, the flow of the church year traces the life and ministry of Jesus and then the life of the Christian. And you and I are familiar with different calendars. There's like a school year that goes from September until May. There's the calendar year that goes January through December. Um, there's a fiscal year that starts in July and goes through June. Um, and maybe a couple other calendars in other years, you know, like the, the football season goes from August until January, whatever the case may be. So the first half of the church year is typically called the festival half of the church year because most of the festivals and celebrations, such as the Big Five, um, Christmas, Epiphany, Holy Week, Easter, Ascension, and Pentecost, are in that half of the year. The festival half of the church year begins by focusing on the preparation for Jesus' work in the season of Advent and continues through the end of his earthly ministry at his ascension into heaven and the beginning of the Christian church on earth as at the first Christian Pentecost celebration. The second half of the church year, which is basically what we call the season of Pentecost, focuses on the growth of a Christian's faith through God's word, looking ahead to eternal life. So each season of the church year has its own specific focus for worshipers. Hymns specially tailored to that season will be used in worship during each particular season. The chart on the following page or on the screen gives a brief summary of each season of the church year. So if you're following along in your workbook, this would be page 90. And it's nicely color-coded to match with a lot of um, the different colors that change at the front of the church. And so also following along your screen, blue, Advent, a preparation for the coming of Jesus. The time of year, this is the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. It lasts about four weeks. It's four Sundays long. The theme is preparation, one of getting ready to celebrate Jesus' first coming at Christmas, looking ahead to our Christmas celebration, and getting ready and looking ahead to his second coming at the end of time. The color generally is blue, um, or maybe you grew up with, with a church where the color was purple. Um, 
But either way, it reminds us of the sky where we will see Jesus return. And this is also what we call a penitential season. So it is a time to especially recognize our sins and ready our hearts to have, you know, celebrate Christmas properly um, as the gift of our God coming to us to win our forgiveness. Christmas, this is the first great festival, is the day of Jesus' birth. And the season of Christmas is um, the 12 days of Christmas from December 25th through January 5th. And it lasts 12 days, um, one or two Sundays. The theme is celebrating Jesus' birth as the fulfillment of God's promises to send a Savior. And the color is white. It reminds us of the purity Jesus had when he was born as the perfect Son of God, the purity that he would give to us. Epiphany is a word that means to reveal, and this is the time when Jesus reveals his glory through uh, the visit of the Magi, the wise men, as well as Jesus reveals his glory through, um, through the miracles and through his teaching. So this is January 6th through the Sunday before Ash Wednesday. And that Sunday before Ash Wednesday is known as Transfiguration Sunday. So the length of this season varies <laughs> because... Um, because Easter is tied to the lunar calendar. That's the short answer. So Easter moves around because Easter is always the first full moon after the vernal equinox, um, because that's when Passover is. And we in basically the Western church, um, we celebrate Easter at the same time as the Jewish world celebrates Passover because that, you know, Jesus was crucified during the Passover. And that is the most authentic date. And Passover date shifts around. It, it's, it can shift by as much as three, almost three and a half weeks, because the lunar month is 28 and one quarter days long. And so, and it goes by full, full moon to full moon. And so, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the short explanation. I think I haven't reviewed all the details on that specifically. Um, it should be enough to just recognize that Easter moves around. It can be as early as like March 23rd or 24th. It was on March 24th back in 2008. And it can be as late as like, like the, about April 15th, April 14th, maybe somewhere right in there. Um, so anyway, because Easter moves around, that means the season of Epiphany can have more weeks or fewer weeks because the, se the season after Epiphany is tied to is 40 days before Easter. Okay. So there's that 40 day block that shifts based on, um, based on where Easter falls. And that would mean that we need some squish time during the season of Epiphany to say, are we going to have a longer season of Epiphany or a shorter season of Epiphany? That's why the length of this season varies. This, that was a lot of words. Sorry, that was kind of boring. Uh, the theme is Epiphany means appearing or revealing. During these days, Jesus reveals who he really is, the Son of God, will take away the sins of the world. The color is green, used through most of the season to remind us of the growth we have as we learn about Jesus. And white is used on Epiphany itself and on the last Sunday of Epiphany, Transfiguration Sunday, as we celebrate Jesus as true God and true man. And then the season of Lent. The season of Lent begins on Ash Wednesday and it goes through the Saturday before Easter. It lasts for a total of 45 days. Um, the six Sundays of that time, plus Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday. Um, and the theme 
is that we reflect on our, what our sin means and how much it costs Jesus to rescue us from sin, death, and hell. It, it, it's a serious time of introspection, a little bit more muted in our music, so it's not um, overly joyful. Maybe use a, a minor key instead of a major key for the music, um, and a little bit slower. Oftentimes, purple is the color, a royal color to remind us of the death of our King Jesus as he faced the punishment for our sins. A few days during Lent are also black, um, such as Good Friday, a day of intense mourning. The second, actually the third great festival of the Christian church is the festival of Easter. And um, that's obviously begins on Easter Sunday, lasts for seven Sundays, Easter Sunday through the Sunday before Pentecost. And the theme is that Jesus rose from the dead to assure us that he has defeated sin, death, and the devil for us, and we will live forever because he lives. The color is white, reminding us of the purity we have because Jesus has removed our sins. So that's the season of Easter. Um, and so Easter is seven weeks long. That's 49 days. <laughs> and the 40th day of Easter is the fourth great festival of the Christian church, the festival of Ascension, when Jesus visibly ascended into heaven again. Often gets overlooked because it's kind of subsumed by the season of Easter, and it, fall, it always falls on a Thursday. Um, next one is the day of Pentecost. This is the fifth of the five great festivals when Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. This is 50 days after Easter, the you know, 50, well, by our count, um, exactly seven, you know, the 50th day after Easter, um, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to his disciples, and he kept his promise. And this is known as the birthday of the Christian church. The color red is used on this Sunday as the festival color to rejoice in the start of the Christian church. And it's also the color of, um, you know, making a confession of faith, standing up for your faith. Finally, the Sundays after Pentecost, talking about our grow, growing in faith and understanding. This is the first Sunday after Pentecost um, until Reformation Sunday, and the length of the season may vary. And again, for various reasons, because Easter, Christmas is always on December 25th, and so the four weeks before that are the days of the, the four weeks of Advent. And so um, be, depending on where Christmas falls, that, that dictates the start of Advent, and then Pentecost can expand to fill the extra space between the, especially if you have an early date of Easter, such as, you know, March 25th, um, and, a, and, and Christmas happens to fall, you know, with three Sundays previous, you know, three Sundays or four Sundays in December previous to it, then you've got a long season of Pentecost. So green is used to show the growth in faith as we receive the word. Um, the season of end times is the last four Sundays before the first Sunday in Advent. And, and this is often also just green as the final Sundays in the season of Pentecost. Um, but we focus on Christ's care for his church in the last days, the upcoming judgment, and the certainty of Jesus' victory for us. Um, the color red and white are often used, or we can just have green the whole way through. So the purpose and pattern of our worship. The main purpose of our worship service is to make use of the means of grace. This is the top of page 91. That is to proclaim the good news of Jesus through both God's word and sacrament. The pattern of our Christian worship in church is a pattern of law and gospel. In the confession of sins, we acknowledge that we have sinned against God and deserve his punishment. 
That is a statement of law and a recognition of where we stand in respect to God's law. Then, in the absolution, we hear the announcement from the pastor that for Jesus' sake our sins have been forgiven, an announcement of the gospel. Then the readings from God's word contain both law and gospel, and we respond to them with song and psalm. The sermon contains both law and gospel. The hymns contain both law and gospel, and hopefully some teaching that we sing to one another. The sacraments of Holy Baptism and Holy Communion proclaim the gospel in the most beautiful and intimate ways that God has given to us, specifically and individually. Our prayers acknowledge that on our own, we are not worthy to ask anything from God, but because of Jesus' death in our faith, in our place, we are confident to ask him anything that we need. And you see there on page 91, our service kind of follows five basic songs the Kyrie, Lord have mercy, that is our prayer, after the absolution. We ask God, have mercy upon us and have mercy upon the people of this world. And God primarily does so through his word, as he encourages us and forgives sin and builds us up. The Gloria, glory be to God, Gloria in excelsis, um, that's that statement, you know, that our God has come to be with us, and we give glory to him. The creed or the credo, um, this is usually a read or a spoken thing, such as the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. We say what we believe. The Sanctus, the Holy, 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 is the song immediately before um, the words of institution. And you'll notice in the, in the Sanctus, it typically has two songs. Um, first of all, Holy, 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 like the song of the angels from Isaiah chapter 6, when they are in the presence of God. And then secondly, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the song of the people on Palm Sunday, as Jesus comes into their presence. The Sanctus is one of my personal favorites, because it's really recognizing that we are in the presence of God, and Jesus makes his entrance once again here in the Lord's Supper. And then finally, the Agnus Dei, looks like Agnus Dei, O Christ, Lamb of God. Um, we point to Jesus as the Lamb of God, who has taken away the sin of the world. So wrapping all things up, because God, here's our connection question, page 91, because God knows all things, he is omniscient, someone might suggest that there's no point in praying. He already knows what we need. How would you respond? Well, yes, God does know everything. But he wants us to come to him with our requests as a child comes to a father or a mother. Prayer is an act of worship through which we express our faith that God will hear us and our trust that he loves us and has the power to give us what is best for us. So we pray because he commanded us. And the fact that he promises to hear that prayer and bless that prayer, we don't use a promise of blessing from God and turn it into a reason to disobey a command of God. And that's really where I end up, that God commanded us to pray. And as he encourages us to make use of this prayer and to obey that command, he also reminds us that he will hear um, our prayers. But we don't set the two in opposition. We don't set set the op the command in opposition to the blessing or use the blessing as an excuse to um, neglect the command you know, we let both stand in their proper context and we pray because he commanded us and above it he even promised to bless it and hear it our homework um, is there at the bottom a number of pages in your small catechism and then there's the term sabbath sabbath day prayer and amen and if you have any questions contact me pastor hagan and if you haven't subscribed yet, 
um, check out our daily podcast, RWJ Daily, Raised with Jesus, and RWJ Membership, um, which is recordings from this class and all of our lessons. And if you do have any questions, let me know. Thanks so much for joining us. God bless your day.